This is Dexter First Pentecostal Church Podcast. Dexter First Pentecostal Church is located at 1213 North One Mile Road in Dexter, Missouri. Our service times are Sunday morning at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Today's message is entitled, It's Not Your Battle to Fight. It was preached by Pastor Jeff Wells on Sunday morning, November the 8th, 2020. Our hope and prayer is that it is a blessing to you. Bibles with you this morning. I want to turn to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter number 20. Hallelujah. We got a few verses here to read. Amen. Verse beginning in verse number number 2. The Bible says that some men came and told Jehoshaphat. Everybody say Jehoshaphat. It's just a really fun name to say, Jehoshaphat. The message was that a great multitude is coming against you. Anybody ever felt that way? I've got opposition coming and it's a, it's a great wave against me. They're coming from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in that, that town. That is that, anyway. Y'all can try if you want to. Verse 5. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the court. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? And give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And behold, but now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom You would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? Has anybody ever wondered, God, where are you at? All this evil, and it just seems like you're not doing anything. For we are powerless. That's an understatement against this great horde that is coming against us. We're so unable. We, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I, I can relate to that. I don't have a clue what to do, but I'm looking to you, Jesus. I'm looking to you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. The son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, son of Jaleel, and son of Mataniah. A Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And this is what the Spirit of the Lord spoke through Jehaziel. Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Can I say this morning, I think we can direct this. Listen (laughs) to all of Dexter, all of Missouri all of the United States, all of the world. Amen. 
Thus saith the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great multitude that's come against you. For the battle is not yours. What, what, do you, what do you mean? It, they're coming against me. Yep. Uh, I, I'm helpless. Yep. I, have, I can't do nothing about it. Yep. The battle's not yours, but it's God's. See, this, this applies to me personally in my own personal circumstances, it applies, I believe, even on a greater scale and stage overall what, we've, what we're going through. And I'm, I'm not just talking about this, this thing we just had. Y'all know we had an election last week, right? But I'm talking about this entire year has been just one thing after another after another and Amen. And you begin to wonder, God, what, what, do I, how do, what do I do? I feel like I need to do something. And the Lord says, it's not your battle. I want to preach to you. It's not your battle to fight. God, we love you. We thank you this morning. We thank you, God, for your word. Lord, there is a heaviness, God, upon us this morning. But Lord God, it, it need not be. Because, Lord, you've got everything under control. You know exactly what you are doing. Lord, there is no reason to fret. There's no reason to be fearful. But, Lord, we're on the right side here today. Lord, you're on our side and you're fighting our battles for us. I ask this morning, God, as you will anoint every mind and every heart that we would hear and receive, God, your word today. We give you honor in Jesus' name. Can we give the Lord a great hand clap of praise here this morning. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. You can be seated for just a moment. <coughs> Hallelujah. There was a minister, a priest, and a rabbi. And they were discussing what is the ideal position for prayer. And it just so happened to be that there was a telephone repairman working nearby. Isn't that coincidental? And the minister stated his view. Kneeling, kneeling is definitely the best position for prayer. No way, the rabbi uh, countered. He said, I get the best results Standing with my hands outstretched to heaven. You're both wrong, the priest insisted. The most effective prayer position is lying prostrate, be, be, uh, face down on the floor. Overhearing this conversation, amen, the telephone repairman could no longer, amen, contain himself. He said, hey, fellas, he interrupted, the best praying I've ever done was when I was hanging upside down from a telephone pole. <laughs> Amen. Can you relate? 
Well, maybe not the hanging upside down from the telephone pole, but prayer has the most impact when we are most in need of God's help. When we feel helpless, when we feel powerless, when we realize how inadequate that we are and how much we need to rely on God's power and His goodness. Psalms 34, 17 says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. How many want to stand on that scripture here today, on that promise? It is the Lord who does the delivering because we are unable to do it ourselves. I cannot work it out. I cannot fix it. I cannot be my own savior. But in many times and most of the time, I guess I should say, I have that feeling of being inadequate. I have that feeling of not being enough. The word inadequate Simply, it means lacking the quality or the quantity that is required, not just suggested. Amen. When you don't have enough, when you don't have nowhere to get it from, when you are completely, amen, coming up short, that is being inadequate. When you're not enough or when you're not good enough and there's not a person sitting in this congregation this morning that, that could say well I've never felt that. We've all been there. Amen. We've experienced amen, the being inadequate in our own lives. 2 Corinthians 3 and 5 Paul said not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Where I lack, where I come up short, where I am inadequate, amen, God steps in and He provides what I could have never provided for myself. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 and 10, but by the grace of God I am what I am. I'm able to be who I am. I'm able to stand where I am this morning simply by the grace of God. We are not saved by works, amen, but we are saved by grace through faith, amen. It is only by the grace of God, the gift of God, that you and I are where we are today. Amen. There's many here this morning. Uh, I'm sure it wouldn't take very long for you to start thinking of, of where you could have been or even maybe where you should be. <laughs> but because of God's goodness, because of His mercy, because of His grace, the very fact that He reaches further down than what we ever could reach up, and He pulls us out of that horrible pit. How many are thankful this morning you're no longer what you used to be? Amen. You should be it. You should still be there, but because of God's mercy, you're no longer living in that pit. Jesus told, tells us, we read in John 15 and verse 5, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I believe that. Amen. I can't, I can't do anything without Him. But not only do I understand that I cannot, I don't want to try to do anything without Him. Hallelujah. 
Paul wrote in Philippians 3 and 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. This is not something I've been able to create or manufacture. But he said, One thing I do, forgetting, amen, what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I'm not where I used to be only by the mercy of God. And it is also by the mercy and grace of God that I'm going to attain that which is ahead of me. Can I tell you this morning that you've got a bright future ahead of you. Oh, pastor, but you don't know where I've come from. That even furthermore tells me you've got a bright future ahead of you because if God can get you out of the pit, He can put you on the part where you need to be. If He can get you out of Egypt, He can get you out. He can get you into the promised land. Amen. If He can pull you out of darkness, He can put you in His marvelous light. Amen. Praise God. But I, I can take no credit. Amen. I, I, I can, I am not, uh, it is not because of me. It's simply only because of Him. Now, I am grateful. I, I have been very blessed uh, to be raised in a, in a Christian home. And I, 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 my whole life, I've, I've been, I mean, I have just continually, uh, uh, godly principles has just been poured into me. And I, I'm so thankful for that. Uh, I, that, that, is, that is of more value than any, any amount of gold in this world. I, I, I appreciate that. And it, it was by the mercy of God that, that I was raised in the home that I was raised in. But just because this morning you may not have that kind of heritage, you may not have that kind of lineage in your life, your, your, your life may, may have consisted of, of abuse and, and, and all kinds of other types of things that has affected you negatively. I, 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 just because that is the case, let me tell you, amen, the mercy of God. He can take somebody that is so marred, amen, and so undone, amen. I'm talking about such a deep, deep darkness but he is still able to pull them out. I want you to know this morning there is no extent, there is no limit, amen, to what God is able to do. Every single person here today, regardless of where you've come from, regardless of the depths of darkness that God's pulled you out of, God is still able, amen, to set your feet upon a rock and establish your goings. It's only by the mercy and the great grace of God Amen. He chooses to. Nobody's twisting his arm. Nobody's trying to convince him. Nobody's trying to bargain on your behalf. I mean, God chooses. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says he died for us. He doesn't do it because you're good. He doesn't do it because you've given a little bit. Amen. I understand all of us have got to surrender. We've got to repent. We draw nigh. He'll draw nigh to us. But when it comes to him and his mercy, it's not us that found him. It's him that found us. Amen. He wants to empower. He wants to give you the ability that you would never have on your own. The Bible says with man it's impossible. But with God. Everybody say with God. All things. There's nothing that's going to be impossible. Uh, he even said you can look at that mountain uh, and you can speak uh, that it be removed and it shall be removed. Uh, and he said you can do that with a faith uh, the size of a grain of mustard seed. Uh, amen. I'm telling you, uh, there is no one here today, uh, amen, that God turns his head to and says, well, uh, I can help everybody except for them. Uh, no, no, no. Every single person here today, uh, God is able to empower you. Uh, God is able to cause you to do things uh, that you would have never never been able to do before that is what God wants to do and that is what God is doing in Luke chapter 10 
The Bible tells us that, amen, Jesus, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also, and he sent them two by two before his face into the city, every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into this, to his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, notice he says, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Now that analogy is not, when you're the lamb, you're not, you're not in a good place if you're going against wolves. Lambs are, are not the, the greatest defensive animals. Lambs are not really, well, really, they're not able to do much defending at all. That's why they have to have a shepherd. That's the role of a shepherd is to protect the lambs, right? Amen. David, when he was caring after his, his father's uh, sheep, and the lion would come and try to take a, take a lamb. Now, me, I'm just talking about me. I'd say, well, you know, dad's got plenty. <laughs> he ain't going to miss one, right? But no, David understood his role of a shepherd. He went and he battled that lion. He killed that lion. Now, we find out later that David, he didn't take credit for it. David never said, look what I did. He said, the same God that delivered the lion into my hand will also deliver this giant. But he understood his role as a shepherd as he had to care. It was, it was his place to protect the sheep. Jesus said, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Now, one from a bystander may say, well, I mean, that's awful cruel. Why are you doing that, Jesus? Why are you sending lambs out among wolves? Why don't you make them tougher than wolves? Well, we've got to understand that it's not about us. We'll never have enough. Amen. I, I, I have had, again, very blessed to have had people in my life who I greatly admire. I mean, really, people that has... That has just been so, just a godly example. And, and I mean, I, I've, I've tried to emulate my life after them because, again, they, they, they were wonderful people. But even them were not enough. You can never be enough. There's never a time where you're going to reach a level where, okay, now I'm qualified to go to battle. Because you're always going to be as a lamb among wolves. But notice... Those saying that he sent out his lambs among wolves when they came back in verse 17, the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Here we are. We're just lambs. We are defenseless animals. We, we, don't, we don't have anything really to, to give on our own. But we were able to go as lambs and be powerful because your name, amen, you gave us power. The Bible tells us in verse 19, Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents. That's not what lambs do. Lambs don't tread on serpents. No, lambs don't. But when Jesus gives you power, that you would have never had on your own. You're able to tread on serpents, on scorpions, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You don't change the fact that you're still a lamb, but you are a lamb that is empowered by a great God. Hallelujah. But, but, but a lot of times we, we, we like the heroes in our lives. Hey man, when I was a kid, I had, I had the Superman pajamas. 
cape and all. And I, I, I just like being Superman, all right? I, I would fly around the house. I was faster than any speeding bullet. I could leap tall buildings in a single bound in my mind. Amen. You know, but I, 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 now maybe you did, but, but I, I never did, you know, want to be the joker. I, I never wanted to be the, the nemesis to the hero. I wanted to be the hero. But how many of us here this morning could probably relate more to the nemesis than we could the hero? Amen. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And this is, this is an area, this is not a town. This is just a place where, where a lot of pagan worship took place. And a matter of fact, the God of Pan was, was worshipped here. And, and Jesus brought them to this location. I, when, I, when I saw this when I was in Israel, it, it changed my whole thinking of this setting of Scripture. But Jesus took them right in the, in the very place where all of these false gods and all of these deities are being worshipped. And as He's standing right there, He says, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? Peter looked at him and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The location there at Caesarea Philippi was called, and is yet today still called, the gates of hell. He's saying, I'm telling you, we'll go right to the very mouth of the gates of hell, and we will make this declaration that it will not prevail against the church because I am building a church amen that is upon this rock he looked at Peter and said I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven this was Peter oh what an honor now Peter amen and I, I, I get these mixed up but, but you've got I believe his name was Petra and, and it was part of Petros. I may have that backwards. Main, main point is, Peter was a piece of the rock. He wasn't the rock. We don't pray to Peter. We don't ask the, that Peter would intercede for We pray to Jesus Christ. He is the rock. But you and I are a part of that rock. He brings us to be a part of that rock. Now this same one that Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom to, Later on, we find in John chapter 21, this is after Jesus had been crucified, and this is after Peter had denied the Lord, which he said he would not do, but he did. Amen. And the Bible says in verse 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together, he had Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, the same one that, you know, Touched the print of his nails, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter says unto them, I go a fishing. I go a fishing. Where's he from? He from Dexter, Missouri? That's like a southern slang. I, I go a fishing. <laughs> Amen. I go a fishing. And they said to him, We're gonna go with you. Now, now you gotta you gotta understand. They've had, a, they've had a rough few days here. Amen. Their, their lives have been just torn upside down. 
Amen. But, but this phrase that, that Peter said, I go a fishing, this was not just, well, I'm going to go and, you know, wet a hook a little bit and just, just kind of try to get away and just kind of, you know, uh, collect my thoughts. No, no, that, that, this was not that kind of fishing trip. But the word where he says, I go a fishing, the word go there, again, I can't pronounce the Greek word, but it means to withdraw or to retire. Peter was done. I, I, I can't, I, I'm, I'm done. It, it also means as if sinking out of sight. Now, Jesus had just shown himself to them. Peter's dealing with a bunch of stuff. He's, he's dealing with the fact that his whole world turned upside down. He's dealing with probably some guilt and some shame because he, he did deny the Lord. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm getting away. I'm going back to what I've, what's familiar to me. See, when Jesus called Peter, the Bible says in Luke chapter 5, this is when he first called Peter to be a disciple. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Amen. But somewhere along the line, Peter went back and got a boat. He had forsook everything. That's his. So you've got to understand the Sea of Galilee. That, that, that was fishing, was the, that was how you made a living. I mean, that's, where, that's what you did if you lived around the Sea of Galilee. They were at Tiberias, which is one of the three major cities at that time around the, around the Sea of Galilee. And so, you know, everything, the spiritual thing that they were doing, it just seemed to be falling apart. And, and, and Peter's like, man, I've, I've been a failure. I, I'm going back to where I know I can do what I'm doing. Amen. It, it's amazing. He was planning now... To make a career, a career change, he was going to go from ministry to fisherman. The statistics say, and I don't know how this can be, again, these are numbers that I don't understand, but every month there is 1,500 pastors that are leaving the ministry. That just seems like a really high number. But then, but then I rub shoulders with some pastors, and guess what? They're discouraged. Amen. They're uh, frustrated. And, and, and you know, it's not, they're not frustrated at God, but they're frustrated at themselves. You know why? They don't feel like they're adequate. They, they feel like, well, if I could just, you know, be like so-and-so or do, then, then everything would come together. But I've got news for all of us pastors out here. We ain't never going to be enough. We're never going to be adequate. Amen. See, if we're not careful, we can read the Bible in a very misguided way. Again, oftentimes we view ourselves as the hero or as the, as the victor in Scripture. But in reality, we relate more to those who are downcasted. I, I would like to look at myself as, as Moses, you know, the one that says, okay, I'm going to stretch forth my staff and I'm going to be the one that, that stands in the, in, you know. But a lot of times I, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I, I, I want to I relate and say, well, yes, I'm, I'm David. I'm the one that's going to run down into the valley of Elah. I'm going to face that giant. But in reality, I'm more like Saul or Eliab that says, you know what? You go ahead and good luck. I'm going to hide behind this rock. Amen. I have on more occasions than I would really like to admit here this morning, I have felt like Jehoshaphat. A great multitude is coming against you. Great. 
What else can happen? Amen. I mean, just, just a little, again, not that it matters, but in my little, in my little life here, Amen. Looking forward to getting to have Thanksgiving dinner with my dad. Hadn't got to see my dad much. I mean, he's, if you hear my dad talk, he's been in prison this whole time. He says at least they're nice to me, but I'm in prison. I can't go nowhere. So we were looking forward to having Thanksgiving dinner. And then, then this week, anyway, they've had a, a couple, not residents, but some workers test positive. So now they put everybody on quarantine. They canceled our Thanksgiving dinners. That stinks. I don't like it. But what do you do? Amen. My mom tests positive for COVID. I go to deliver some groceries to them the other day, and, you know, I got to talk. You know, I don't like any of this stuff. And you know what? I would change it if I could. But I can't. Neither can you. A great multitude coming against you. Notice what his response was in verse 3. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news <clears throat> and he begged the Lord for guidance why would he be terrified because he knew that he did not stand a chance against this multitude he knew that there was nothing that he would be able to do to fix it and we found and we, and we read that God's response when he spoke through Jehaziel amen is do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle's not yours, but it's God's. This battle is not yours to fight. Now, if we, if we really believe that, that's a big relief. Because if you're like me, you're going to try. All right, here, I, 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 I'll, I'll go at them. But I know I'm not enough. I know it's not going to be enough. I know it's not going to work. But i got to do something. But God's like, no, 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 no. It's not your battle to fight. What do I do? You just sit back and be patient. And you watch the salvation of the Lord. You, 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 mean, you mean I don't have to lift a sword? Nope. You, 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 you mean I, I don't have to help you, Lord? As if I could. He don't need no help anyway. See, David just happened to come to the battlefield at that, at that appointed time where Goliath was issuing his challenge to Israel. Now, now when you joined the army in Israel, you had to provide your own, your own supplies. Sound like a great deal, right? So David... His father had given him some food to take to, to his brothers that were in Saul's army. And so he just happened to show up at the time when Goliath was issuing his challenge or he was defi his defiance of the God of Israel. David was a boy. So much so that Saul later says to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you're nothing but a youth, you're, you're a kid. And he has been a man of war since he was your age. I mean, David, you know, he gets out there. He hears this, this giant make this defy or this challenge. And the challenge was this. Send me your champion. Let us go to battle. If I defeat your champion, then all of you have got to serve us, us Philistines. But if, for whatever reason, your champion was able to defeat me, then we'll serve you. 
Nobody was willing to take that upon their shoulders. Nobody was willing to, to say, hey, I'll be the champion. But here David, who's just a kid, he happens to just show up at that time and he hears this giant issuing this, this, this challenge. And he looks around. He sees everybody shuddering in fear and they're going, they're going trying to hide. And, and he's like, where, where are you going? The battle's over here. And I said, can you not see? Don't you see how, how big he, he's been doing this for almost 40 days. For 40, this is the 40th day. Amen. So David, he, he gets rebuked by his oldest brother Eliab. The Bible says that, that when he heard, when he spake unto the man and Eliab's anger kindled against David, he said, why have you come here? Uh, with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the world? He's trying to belittle David. But in reality, what he's doing, he is, he is shirking his own responsibility. He is a soldier. He ought to be the one going to Goliath. Who's watching those few sheep? But see, what Eliab don't understand, it's what David learned while watching those few sheep. That was insignificant. It was, it was while he was watching those few sheep that his own father neglected to bring him into the house when Samuel came to anoint the next king. He brought all of his sons besides David before Samuel two different times. Amen. Twice in a row. And finally Samuel says, Is there any, are these all of your sons? Well, I've got one, but he's, he's, at, he's, he's not adequate. But he's out there on the hillside. But you know what he was doing while he was in the hillside? A lion would come. A bear would come. Amen. And because he was a shepherd, because he was caring for defenseless lambs, he would go to battle and God would enable him with the power, amen, to rip the lion apart and to rip the bear apart. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us in verse 25 that the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? History tells us he was about nine and a half feet tall. He was a giant. He was a freak of nature. Surely to defy. You could put in there, he was blaspheming the God of Israel. Now to the, all the other soldiers, to them, although blaspheming was bad, the giant was still too big. But when David heard the giant blaspheme his God. He's like, something has got to be done. What, what, what happens to the guy who, who, who does this? <laughs> Amen. David, he spoke to them. He said, well, uh, you know... <laughs> Uh, you, 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 get, you get a lifetime exemption from taxes. You, uh, the king will give you his daughter. Amen. See, the reason that David was so passionate about doing something, when he says, is there not a cause? Because when you would in that day and time, when you would blaspheme God, it was punishable by stoning. It was not something that was just kind of uh, not a big, it was a really big deal. David was aware of this. It was not the lifetime tax exemption or the king's daughter that motivated him. It was the fact that this man, though it was a giant, did not matter. But he had blasphemed the God of Israel. Can I tell you this morning that those who blaspheme God or the things of God, they do not go unnoticed. They may appear as if they're getting away with it. They ain't getting away with it, church. 
David may not have been the, the experienced giant killer, but he was really good with a slingshot. See, the things that he had learned by while being a shepherd and keeping sheep. Uh, I, mean, I'm not, I know I'm not preaching to a bunch of pastors here today, but if there's any pastors tuning in, uh, you may think all I'm doing is I'm just, I'm just keeping sheep. But what you're learning while you're keeping sheep uh, is, yes, uh, you will never be adequate on your own, uh, but you've got a God who will empower you uh, to do what you never could have done in your own strength. The Bible says that he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones out of the brook and he put them in a shepherd's bag, amen, even in a scrip and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. He took these five smooth stones. I've heard many, five smooth stones represents J-E-S-U-S. Uh, Goliath, I believe he had four other brothers. He was, I don't, whatever you want to say, but he took a stone. Amen. And he approached that giant. And David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. And we know the story. David was victorious. David killed the giant. David knocked him down with the sling and then he cut his head off with his own sword. Amen. David was victorious that day. But I'm getting ready to land. Many of us would like to see ourselves as being David. I'm going to fight that giant. How many has got giants in your life? Oh yeah, I've got giants. I'm going to fight. I'm gonna, I, I could do it as David. But if the truth be told, you and I this morning, we can relate more to the men of war who hid in fear. We can relate more to those who cowered in that time of adversity. But I've got good news for all of us here today. All of us inadequate folk. That's, that's me included there. I've got good news. And that is that only David had to fight The outcome of the entire army of Israel was not on the shoulders of Saul, the shoulders of David's oldest brother Eliab. It was only on the shoulders of David. <laughs> Saul, it's not your battle to fight. Eliab, it's not your battle to fight. Because the result that David would get Everybody would be included. Hallelujah. Amen. This morning, you have a David. His name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ done fought the battle. He's done went to a place called Calvary. He went and hung on a cross. Amen. For you and I, He already won the battle. If you were able, if you'd use your imagination for just a moment, if you could picture Golgotha, amen, the, the, the place of Calvary where Jesus was hanging on a cross. And if you could, amen, like Google Earth does, if you could just kind of zoom out from there, you would find that Jesus would look so small 
when you, when, in comparison to the entire world. David, you look so small, so inadequate. Amen. But David defeated the giant. Jesus, who, who would appear to be, be insignificant. He looked so weak, uh, but yet, you know what he was? We know what he is. Uh, amen. He's the King of kings uh, and the Lord of lords. Uh, amen. He, uh, amen, fashioned himself as a servant. Uh, he came, uh, amen, uh, who uh, for the joy that was set before him, uh, amen, he endured the cross. He won the battle. It's not your battle to fight. Hallelujah. Amen. You say, Pastor, I've got a lot of stuff. I've got a lot of troubles. I've got a lot of issues. I've got... I hear you. I hear you. You don't understand the baggage that I carry in my... Yep, I hear you. I know it's a lot. And I know your life may be so messed up right now. You you, you don't know which way to, to go. I, 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 but But I'm, I'm here to tell you. He's already won the battle. Amen? But isn't it amazing? I, I, I mentioned it the other day. I, I mentioned it, I guess, Wednesday night about Brother Jerry Jones, his grandmother, who was a worrier. And, and, and she made it very clear to him, his first message, he, he used the Philippians 4 and 6 text to be, basically worry about nothing but pray about everything. And she got up, up to him after the service and pointed her finger at him and said, I want you to know... I've, been, I've changed your diapers, uh, and, you, and who are you to come to, to preach to me and tell me there's nothing to worry I've got plenty of stuff I need to worry about. It's amazing how we, we, we don't mean to, but we, we're so familiar with worry. We're so familiar with fear. We're so familiar with identifying with how unable we are. And when you start to consider a God who's already won the battle, we're gripping our sword. We're trying to do something because we got to do something. God's like, it ain't your battle to fight. I've already got it won. <laughs> Amen. Amen. This morning as we stand here today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You, you, you mean, Pastor, that all of the trouble and struggles that, that's going on I don't have to worry about it nope isn't that good what, what, what about what about my my doctor's diagnosis shouldn't I worry about that everybody's got a choice amen brother Jones said you know he climbed to the top of that tree and grandma would come out there and tell him you know how he better get down from there because all his other friends had already fell and died and all. He told me, he said, Grandma, you, you, you worry, I'm going to hold on. You, you, everybody's got a choice. If you want to worry, you can worry. But I'm going to tell you, you will wear yourself sick. Well, I've got to do something. I've got to pick up my... No, 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 no. What you've got to understand is God's already won the battle. Can I, can I go a little further in extreme? How many here has got loved ones that are, that are not serving God? That's a huge concern. Absolutely it is. And, and, and if we're not careful, we, we take it upon ourselves to think that we're the ones that's got to save them. You can't save them. But he's already won the battle. I'm telling you, church, I believe God's going to do it. Amen. How, how, how is our nation going to turn out? Well, I'm telling you, 
I've said it before, our hope is not in any presidential candidate. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And you better get ready because this thing is starting to wrap up. We need to understand today. Amen. This is about kingdoms. You've got, you've got God's kingdom. You've got the spirit of the Antichrist coming in. I mean, yeah, we're going to war. We're going to fight. We're going to do it in the spirit. To, amen. But I'm not going to, it ain't going to do me any good to sit up at night all worried about what's going to happen. It's not my battle. God doing the fighting. Amen. I want to pray. I want to submit myself to God. I want to surrender myself to God. Yes, those are things I need to do, and I better be doing it. Amen. I, I want to be a student of His Word. I, I want to be faithful. Yes. But when it comes to actually picking up a sword and doing no, God's going to take care. It's His battle. Amen. This, this morning, I, I want to invite you around this altar today. Amen. I, I know you've come in. You're battle-weary. Amen. But you know, let me tell you, you, there's already, you're not David this morning. You're not David, but you're, you're, you're Eliab. You're Saul. You're the other soldiers. Uh, David's done, went and fought the battle. Uh, David's done, defeated the, the giant. Uh, Jesus has already uh, defeated uh, the, the, the enemy. Uh, amen. The battle's already been won. Uh, we need to rejoice in that today, uh, that we're able to be who we are because the battle's already been won. Come on, church, let's reach out to him. In Jesus' name today, touch our minds. Help us, Lord, with understanding today. In Jesus' name.